All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Within Tolerance. This is episode 47, and I'm joined with Dylan. I feel like I don't know Dylan anymore because we haven't talked in like two weeks. It feels like it's been like two months, but here we are finally <laughs> back and uh, ready to talk shop. Yeah, I think you can tell how busy we are by our text stream, like the weeks where we're not busy, we're constantly <laughs> texting, and then we both just go radio silent when we get busy. Yeah, then it's just one word answers. <laughs> yeah, real quick questions, and then it's like, okay, I'll talk to you in a week. Yep. <laughs> well, that's good. So you're obviously busy. We're, I mean, I know I'm busy, so talk about what's going on with you. Yeah, so um, I mean, the last podcast we were talking, we were kind of, we had work, but we weren't. I wasn't feeling busy, but I guess looking back, I guess I kind of was. I don't, I don't know. Um, everything is coming due all at once. And a bunch of my customers that were either shut down or limited staff are now coming back online and like, hey, we need all these parts rushed. So like, I think I've done two or three rush orders in the last week and a half. Um, but yeah, things have been good. Otherwise, we're, we're staying busy, keeping the machines running. I'm actually running both, or I was running both brothers last week. Uh, I actually posted on Instagram about it because I was running like one machine was a 37 cycle, 37 second cycle. And one was like a minute and 30. And so it was just like running around like nonstop. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's good. Um, we also finally, finally, finally um, pulled down our material rack and put up that new one and started loading that thing back up. And it just looks better and feels better. And I had a customer come by yesterday and like, we're still in the middle of moving things around, but even, even with all the material laying on the floor, it's like, it looks much better. So, um, yeah, overall pretty good. What about you staying busy? Yeah. I mean, let's see. I'm trying to think. Yeah. Two weeks ago, what's happened. I've been going back and forth with a couple different customers. I've been doing a lot of like one-off. I met this one local customer that brought over like he's well, local to the state but not too local like he had to drive two hours but he came over and brought over like i don't know this box i'm looking at it there's probably 40 different part numbers in it and he's like yeah so these are just a small sampling of what i make and i make a lot of these and i'm just like okay um so like meeting people like that which is great and then you know like with him and some others doing like, you know, I need one of these or I need a couple of these before we do a run of 200 or a hundred of them. So I don't know. It's weird. Cause I've been thinking about it a lot lately that I'm, we're both kind of like opposite because I would say it's safe to say with a lot of what I do, I'm more of a like low production shop and you're more of just the prototype shop. Yeah, totally. Like, I feel like almost all my parts, it's either like, minimum of like 20 to 50 normally it's a hundred plus um which you know i don't know i personally like the there's challenges with prototyping and with production and i personally like the um production challenges a little bit more i think they're i don't know it's just cool to me um but i don't know i was just thinking about that we really are kind of I mean, we both do production or prototyping, but you're really kind of dialed in with the prototyping one-off stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I actually wish I had a little more production work. Like, I, my ideal workload would be a simple production thing that I could throw on the TC while the Speedio does uh, prototypes or vice versa, yeah. really. I mean, I, I don't really care. But, like, having one machine that I can just load and not worry about while the other one 
I'm having to attend to is really nice. It's what becomes stressful is when I'm doing multiple prototypes at once and it's like, well, where do I devote my time? Like I've got X number of hours. I've got, you know, three or four ops on each part. I have to program and set them up and run them. Like sometimes having two spindles doesn't help that. Um, but when there's like longer run times, like if I've got 10 minutes or 15 minutes, then it's like, well, I've got, okay, I got time that I can go set up or I can go program or whatever. Yeah. So. And I don't know. It's just kind of, like I said, interesting problems come with both of those. Um, I'm definitely running into the problem of having two machines would be really nice right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. Um, just cause like I've never had this, I don't, yeah, I don't think I've talked about this, but I've, I'm to the point where now with customers coming to me, I'm telling them like, okay, I can make these, but like in two weeks or like in three weeks. And that's just weird to me. Luckily, everyone's been like, okay with that, but it's just kind of like, you know, I could be doing it all right now if I had two machines. Yeah. Especially with your current workload. It sounds like you've got long enough cycle times that you've got, you know, more than enough time in your hands to program and set up other stuff. Yeah, I mean, especially it'd be great to fill in the gaps with prototyping stuff, like you said, or whatever. Um, so I don't know. It's just I'm really kicking myself because there's that one machine I sent you a link to way back. Um, it was a mini mill that was like super optioned out for super cheap. I don't know why I didn't buy that. Um, I would I messaged the guy again like yesterday i'm like you don't by chance still have that he's like no that thing went super fast and i was like shoot <laughs> yeah I, I once you send it to me i knew it was gonna be a pretty pretty hot machine for sure yeah like it was like i would say if you would have asked me like anytime this past week if if i could drop thirty five thousand for another machine like i would have said yes in a heartbeat <laughs> so that's where i'm at <laughs> Well, maybe it's just good uh, incentive for you to pull the trigger on something else. Yeah. So it's kind of, I was talking a little bit with Drew, Drew Fab, and um, he got some cool machines at his day job. I'm not going to give away anything if he doesn't want me to, but um, we were just talking and it's like, I'm trying to plan, like you got to be strategic with how you grow and you don't want to grow too crazy fast, but I can't stay in the same spot. Um, and so it's like, how do you do that properly into your own liking? And, you know, if you're a debt guy, do you go into debt? Or if you're like me and you don't like debt, how do you do that? So there's all those angles. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those big struggles of growing a business for sure. Yeah. And speaking of, you got your material rack, which I saw the picture. It looks really good. Thanks. Um, yeah. I like who mentioned like putting some Sharpies next to it or something like that. Um, I'd have to check again, but I thought that was a fantastic idea. Uh, yeah. Let's see. It was NYFB Fab. Um, and yeah, I thought that was a great idea because like I, I'm constantly looking for a Sharpie to mark material. Like, oh, this is 7075 or whatever. Um, yeah. And like now we've got things more separated on different shelves, which is really nice, but still it, it would be really, really nice to have those. And it's such an easy um, idea to implement. Yeah. Just get some magnets or Velcro strips or something and put them on. Yeah. I mean, even like string and tape, like to yeah, start with yeah. it. Um, so yeah, it's, 
I still haven't done it, but I need to. Um, there's a lot of little projects that are waiting in the wings right now while I get myself unburied from work. But uh, we've got, yeah, because I've got to put the orange stuff on ASAP because I'm just tired you of need to. Fit. Yeah, I, I finally packed up the deltas to send back to get lasered. Um, so those will go out today or tomorrow. And uh, yeah, I need to get that that on there. I'm just tired of looking at it just sitting and then also we finally have all the stuff we have all the major components for the three spindle coolant and so now i just need to get the fittings and go ahead and put that all together oh yeah speaking of coolant i'm probably once i kind of slow down i'm gonna do that project of adding wash down hoses inside my machine oh you so need to yeah we've been talking yeah. about that for a while I, I don't know if we ever talked about it on here or not i don't oh. know but i posted on the um Haas Facebook group and there's a couple people that have done similar things on larger machines like it looked like a VF4 or something mm-hmm. um, they just took like PVC and ran it along the bottom back edge of the enclosure and just like drilled holes and just basically more um, coolant pushing chips down to the auger but I'm like that's not what I want like it's getting on the walls and sticking to like the sides of the machine especially in the corner so You'll have to send, send me a, a picture. picture. Yeah, yeah. Like the brother, that's all it really is, is PVC. But it runs yeah. along the top corners. And then exactly. every maybe four, three or four inches, there's a drilled, um, I, I don't even think they, ta- they probably tap it too with MPT. And then they just like have the small quarter inch uh, lock line nozzles. So I've got like eight nozzles aside or something like that. Okay. And like, Granted, I can you can always use more. Like there are still little corners that I can never seem to get clean, but uh, it helps a lot. That's for sure. Are you? Do you ever? I'm assuming you've already done this, but you go in there and like adjust them so they kind of hit every spot. Yeah, yeah. But okay. then there's always something new. Like I, I thought I had a, them adjusted perfectly, and then I was running a part where I was using the shell mill with coolant because it was in uh, seventy seventy five. Uh huh. And I was just ripping through it and like it was throwing chips in places that I'd never seen chips before. I was like, oh, <laughs> great. Awesome. So yep. I had to adjust it again. But, uh, you know, every every time I get a little better at finding all the little nooks and crannies, I guess. And is that ran off just the same coolant pump that your normal coolant comes out of? No, I've got a secondary pump for the washdown. Okay. And that came with your machine? Yeah. Yeah, it's an okay. option. I, th- I think it's an option, but it's... From all the quotes I've seen, at least, I think it's usually a standard option from Yamazin. I don't think so I then, saw it as an optional thing. So then the through spindle coolant you're doing, you're getting a third pump? Yeah, this is a, okay. it'll be a, I think it's actually a five or 600 PSI pump that I'm going to regulate down to 435. Why 435? Because the spindles are only rated for two or three megapascals, which equates out to 435. Okay. Yeah. So they're, they're all rated for it. Um, I, from what I've heard, there are hacky ways that you could get a brother, a speedy up to a thousand PSI, but it like, it involves like changing the PLC so that the machine holds the tool out of the spindle longer. So that I can actually purge. Otherwise huh. it holds too much pressure behind the tool or something like that. Um, but they come, 
from what I've heard and what I've, I've researched, all of the ones that Yamazin imports are, if they're cool and through spindle ready, then they're ready for uh, 435 PSI. So that's a lot. It, it's, it's pretty decent. Yeah, it should be good. I'm really yeah. excited. Um, there's a few people on Instagram that have done the, the exact same thing already. Um, like uh, entirely crimson Austin. Okay. Yeah. Uh, TDC manufacturing. He's got it. Um, John McClure did it. I think he was one of the first ones to do it, it or at least the first one I saw to do it. Um, so there's, there's a, a lot of people on the brother Facebook group and there's, I think there's a whole post that Austin put up. Um, so yeah, if, if you have a brother and you're looking to add TSC and you don't want to spend six K, um, go through, <laughs> yeah, go through the brother Facebook group. Cause I, yeah, I think with a 25% off coupon from Zorro, I got my pump regulator and motor for like 630 bucks shipped, something like that. And so I'll be like maybe 750 bucks into it once all of the fittings are installed and stuff. That's that Zorro sounds familiar. I'm looking at the post today. I think someone recommended a pump from that same place. Yeah, I mean, they're if you have not given them your email, don't give them your email unless you're planning <laughs> on buying something because they will spam the ever living crap out of you. But so, uh, online metals. <laughs> Well, like, yeah, pr pretty much. Well, they're worse than online metals. Like, I would get daily Zorro emails, and then somehow they found out my address, and so I started having postcards show up, and it was just, it was terrible. Um, oh, I don't know if you saw it. I think it's a new thing, but uh, I've started getting emails from online metals that I have a pro-level discount now, and so now I have a permanent 15% off coupon code. Oh, what the heck? Yeah, it, it just started like a month or so ago. I was like, sweet, that makes things heaps easier. Yeah, I mean, I'd still wait for 20%. Like you said, it happens every other day. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, totally. But it, I mean, if I, if I need something in a pinch, it's nice yeah. to know that I have a, a permanent uh, discount code now. I mean, it just means that they probably have everything marked up at least 15%, but still. <laughs> yep. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. My, I pro reward I, I didn't sign up for anything either i don't know if i had to oh you have to spend 75 dollars in any month to keep your pro rewards that's what it says for huh. the following month so that's nice I, I do that no problem yeah i've been i found a local supplier that um honestly other than they've been a little bit slow to get back to me when i'm wanting to get stuff quoted um they're really cheap like i just sent in some dimensions for some material and i thought it'd be like i don't know five bucks a piece it's like a dollar a piece whoa that's um, awesome so and you know they're like i don't know 30 40 minutes away so it's a little drive down south but it's like i mean i don't mind that so well if it saves you a few hundred bucks it's you know yeah gas is cheap right now <laughs> yeah seriously and there's no traffic <laughs> yeah so that, that's awesome I'm yeah, trying to think of what else I have to update. Oh, I uh, absolutely sliced my hand terribly the other day. Uh-oh. With a uh, rotary deburr, like a Mango 2 deburr knife. Um, I was deburring the backside of these parts. Not even because it was like a, a finished side. It was actually a stock side that I had bored through from the other previous op, but I needed to take off the small burr. So the probe didn't hit it, or actually it was a fairly large burr. And 
literally on the part, like I was on my second or third part and I was like, you know, I, I'm just going to change the program after this part and make sure that that bird's not there anymore. And on that, like almost exactly as I said that to myself, the knife slipped and I like sliced right through the meat of my thumb. Ooh. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So if you're deburring, um, <laughs> be careful. Yeah. Uh, I showed it to a coworker today and he was like, well, you know better. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Of course, you know, karma came and bit him later because I walked by and he's bleeding. And I'm like, what'd you do? And he's like, nothing. And I'm like, you know better. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh, that's funny. Yeah, that was actually I was going to bring that up. Um, I realized we've never talked about deburring and I wanted to see what kind of deburring tools you use. Um, I love I I try not to use the like the Noga like I don't know what you call them like where you pull or push it away from you I don't like those because especially in aluminum it's since aluminum's so soft you can dig in way too easily and it's just not consistent yeah um like if you're doing that for like stock like t before you go in the machine like that's fine um the only Noga thing I really use is that same thing but it's got like a countersink on it um like for holes that i love that yeah i've got one of those too they work really well um and then i made when i was in school i made this little carbide deburring knife tool thing that's just a broken end mill ground to like a triangle point that it works great for um just you know i don't know it's basically like my own version of the noga but it's just i feel like i can get more consistent results yeah, totally. And then tumbling's nice. I've been doing a lot of that recently, which is nice when customers are fine with parts being tumbled. How do you tumble? What What do you have? Just a little I've got, tiny one? Yeah, just a little, like one of those Harbor Freight ones. Nice. Honestly works great. And the Harbor Freight tumbling media, like I can't complain. It makes aluminum look great. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so there are some aerospace parts that have been tumbled by Harbor Freight tumblers <laughs> and media out there. So look out. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to find... So I've got the same thing. I've got um, one of those... Uh, whatever you want to call it. Rotary deburr tools. Um, and yeah, I use it mostly for stock or edges that like are nice and straight. And then I've got a few tri-blade deburring ones like you were talking about. Um, the Noga makes, so like I, I see everybody with like the really big hex holders for those. Okay. Um, but like Noga also makes, it's the D50 and D66 deburring blade holder. And it's like more or less, it looks like a pencil and like it's the same size as a pencil. And so I love that one because it's so tiny. And I've got uh, both high speed and carbide blades for those. And then... I just bought a ceramic deburring tool for plastics, which has been a lifesaver. Oh yeah. Um, we, we, Brad and I had been talking about one forever and like it works. It, interestingly enough, it, it looks like a normal, sort of like a normal tri-blade, but it, it's actually more of like a square blade. Um, so I tried pulling it towards me like I usually do with the, the Noga, but it seems like it cuts a lot better on the push actually. So, huh. Um, but it, it deburs, super nicely and doesn't dig in and, and doesn't make a nasty looking edge. That's and good. 
than uh, one thing that has been an absolute lifesaver. And I think I saw, I think Morgan Olaf was the first one I saw with these maybe. Um, but Noga makes these reversible countersinks. Have you seen those? Reversible like backside? Yeah, so it like the blade, the triangle blade actually pivots inside the little shaft that holds it. And so when you push the button on the back, the blade goes parallel. Oh, yeah, it retracts. Yeah, and then you can push it through a hole and then release it and it comes back out and you can deburr the backside of holes. Yeah, I need to get one of those. Yeah, I've got both. I've got two of the sizes. I think there's still one size I'm missing. And that thing is amazing. Um, even like for front side deburring, it seems to work a lot better than a lot of um, hole deburring tools. So I, I highly recommend those. And they're like, I think 30 bucks or something like that. So not too oh, bad. That's not bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like deburring is one of those not so glamorous parts of machining, but so important because if you can't hit it in the machine, like it, that's a really easy way to make or break a part. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, and I'm really starting to see like why everyone uses like lollipop tools now. Like there's the part I'm working on now that luckily no burrs created by this backside, you know, the end mill goes through and punches a hole and luckily there's no burr on the underside, but it'd be really nice to have one, you know, a lollipop tool just to go in and just kiss that edge just a little bit. Totally. Yeah. I actually, oh, so I forgot to send you a picture, but I have that, that 078, Thou, um, lollipop deburring lollipop that I bought from Harvey for these parts that I'm working on, and uh -huh. it works amazing. Um, okay, I'm like it's a complex. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like a a slot through to a cylinder, and so I'm dropping through the slot and then deburring the backside with this thing using flow infusion, and it works perfectly. Well. With a little bit of hackiness, it works perfectly. Um, yeah. For, for some reason, Flow, I don't know if it's this late, the last update, or I don't know what it is, but it was not respecting the lead-in and lead-out parameters at all. Okay. So, like, no matter what I put in the lead-in and lead-out boxes, it would plunge and pull up, like, two thou from the wall. And okay. so I ended up having to draw a circle in the middle of the slot and extrude it as just a surface, which was really close to where the lead in and lead out was. And then I added that to the tool path and it moved the lead in and lead out to avoid that. And now it leads in and leads out in the center of the slot. Huh? So super hacky, but totally worked. <laughs> and I'm like happy that I figured out something, but it was, it was super frustrating. I spent maybe five or 10 minutes just like monkeying around with different settings. And I was like, fine, you know what? If you don't want to play ball, I'll force you to play ball. Yeah. And it, that, that worked. So it is. Yeah. You mentioned flow with these latest parts. I'm really, I never really used too many of fusions 3d tool pass, but like, it's really, I really like seeing that like with all the different parts I make you, you know, you learn one little tidbit, some parts you don't learn anything or some you, learn a lot and this one i'm learning a lot as far as one steep and shallow that's a really cool tool path um, yeah i still need to play with it um i'm, gl I'm yeah. glad you got to play with it while the extension is free i need to do that i think i've got 15 days left or something yeah that's really cool um obviously parallel contour i've used scallop to the 
end of time so that's not a big deal to me but it's just really cool to play around with some new tool paths and you know it's one of those things it's like well i know this feature can be machined but like how can i make it look good like efficient like it's all those how do you mark all the check boxes right yeah yeah totally yeah i mean yeah there's they all do certain things really really well and it's kind of just playing the game of like figuring out exactly what what does what well um like scallop it always seems to hit every part of a surface but it might not be the most either a code conservative or um like jitter free like you're not going to get nice smooth lines out of scallop without a lot of massaging um but yeah flow's another one of the ones where it's like you can get really good looking toolpaths out of it, or you can get really garbage looking toolpaths. Um, yep. And it really has to, like flow, especially because of the way that it works. It has to do with the quality of the surface that Fusion has. And so like on the parts I'm working on, it was a customer model that I applied this 5,000 chamfer to. But then <laughs> even to get the flow toolpath to look how I wanted, I then had to duplicate that body, delete the, because the, the chamfer was split up to, like if it's a, a a, a slot with you know rounded corners um it split up the rounded corners and the straighter lines uh, into different surfaces so like there was four surfaces that made up this chamfer actually there was six or something like that and so i deleted all of those and then went into the surface area of fusion and it um what did i do lofted a new surface that was one singular surface across those that gap now and then it became a, a continuous surface and then the flow toolpath looked at it and liked it but it's like you know fusion created that that chamfer but even then it still wasn't good enough for me to get what i wanted yeah so i don't know it is what it is i guess one thing that after these parts i've now gonna start doing on a lot of a lot of parts i do it's i don't need a model stock but i'm definitely gonna start doing that on more complicated parts um and one thing I saw that Rob Lockwood posted on his story is he reposted something from 1186 Manufacturing, <laughs> and I screenshotted it because I really like it. And he 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 commented how how I know 1186 MFG is a smart dude, and it's a picture, and it's like part stock work holding toolpath data, part extension, like all these different things in Fusion, like all different components. Um, and I'm totally doing that, and I don't know why I haven't been because. When I was taught Mastercam in school, I was religious about modeling everything. And I don't know why Infusion, I don't know if it's just laziness or maybe the parts that I've been making recently, I don't need to. But like having, especially having organization, you know, I've struggled, struggled with that. You know, it's like, where's that line sketch that's for this one little deeper up? Like it should be here. Oh, no, it's in the main sketch folder or, you know, whatever. So being better about that i'm really excited to start doing that nice yeah yeah i saw that post too and i was like "Ooh, there you go that's those are some good ideas right there um yeah and i need to see that might have been from his one of his autodesk uh webinars because he, he's done two or three recently on the fusion 360 youtube oh really yeah yeah i think he does cam wednesdays or mondays or something like that like they've been I think they've been doing webinars all like every single day for the past couple of weeks. 
and like huh. there's a different uh subject everyone yeah i'll have to look into that but, uh, yeah it's actually funny you bring him up because i actually just went back and rewatched part of his uh shop tour with saunders the other day which one the where he tours the shop that um he was oh, 1186 at. Yeah, yeah 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 um but yeah yeah it's there's a lot like i feel like the proper workflow really it, it, there's so many benefits to like just the little tips and tricks like anybody fusion has made it so anybody can put tool pass on a part but like getting that last 10 percent where like your parts look amazing right out of the machine. They have exactly what you want on them. The tool paths are nice and efficient. Like that's, you know, that's the secret sauce. Well, and I just remember in school with Mastercam, like there, whenever our teacher would look over our programs, like he was very strict on us because he works at Microsoft at the prototyping lab. And he's very strict about organization. He's like, I should be able to like click on this and like, all this stock information should be here. This is where your tooling is and this, this, and this. And I was really good at that. And so, you know, and it just makes sense, right? Like, why wouldn't you have that in there? But then again, like, you know, some of the parts I do, it's like, well, why should I model a vice? Like, there's no point. Or like, there's no point to model stock on a two-op part that's a rectangle, in my opinion. Like, you know. Right. Well, and really what it comes down, I think you're hundred percent right when you said laziness, like, cause it's in fusion, it's as easy as dragging it in. Once you have that asset already machined yeah, or like are already designed. And so like, it just comes down to laziness or not having, in, in our case, I feel like it's kind of half laziness, half, you know, running a business and not having the time, but like you have to make the time to like sit down and model up all this stuff. That's not going to make you money, but it will make you money in the long run. And so it's this crazy catch 22 of like, well, I don't have time. But if I make time, then it'll save me time. But I don't have time. Yep. yep. So, yeah, it's it's tough. It's for definitely tough. All right. Speaking of time, I'm going to go load a part. <laughs> okay. I'll be right back. Sounds good. So now I get to think to myself, do I stay quiet to make it easy for Peyton to edit this and see the lack of audio? Do I make noise so that he gets confused? Hmm. I can't tell you how cool it is to be able to do what I just did. What, load apart and then just come back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty awesome. I'm glad you finally got a, a good workflow for that part. Yeah, I'm doing four out of five ops in one go. So I'll do op five all all at the end once they're all done is that the fixture we worked on op five yes <laughs> nice yeah i don't know if you got i sent you pictures of what my enclosure looks like with all the chips yeah i did um yeah you need a wash down yeah 100 percent. like that pile in the back left like i don't think you understand how, that's actually like huge <laughs> it looks yeah it looks terrible um like it's 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 worrying or it would be worrying to me. Like, I don't think I could run too long without scooping some of that out. So the problem is if I start scooping it out, I need to find a place to put it. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. So yeah, I, I really want to do that. And oh yeah. One other thing 
I finally got my, well, finally, as in a couple weeks ago, but <laughs> new to everyone, I finally got my orange vice converted into double station or dual station mode. And for whatever reason, I never did that because there wasn't really a need, I guess. Or I remember when I first got it, I was playing with it and talking to Nick. And for whatever reason, I could just not wrap my hand around like the third hand mechanism and the brake mechanism. But then after talking to Nick like a month ago, he's like, oh, yeah, just like remove that. Like, you don't need that. And I'm like, wait, what do you mean? And he's like, and he explained it to me. And it makes total sense that those features of when you go to open the vice, how one part stays clamped while one opens and you have to keep turning it to release that second part is for horizontals because you know if you open the vice and you're holding one hand on one part you can't be turning it and holding two parts right you don't have three hands so i'm assuming that's what that main feature is for and it kind of you know correlates with eric's obsession with horizontals so i'm assuming that is the reason yeah well and it's also it's an anchor for the entire jaw assembly. Okay. Because like, if you think about that, that jaw carrier, when you convert to double station mode is just free floating in there. And so if you like went to go open that up without that third hand, the top jaw in the horizontal would just bang to the center. Oh yeah. 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 So it, it's uh yeah, it's, it's more or less just like a big anchor for the entire jaw assembly. Yeah, but I, I I didn't even think about removing it the first time I used it, but uh, it, like once I looked at their instructions on their website, I didn't find it too bad. Like as far as setting it, um, but yeah, I, I guess it totally makes sense that you really don't need it in a three-axis setup. Yeah, that's just what Nick was saying. I'm like, all right, and played with it, you know, just clamping on like one, two, three blocks just to make sure it's it was working, and I'm never going back. Like, never. <laughs> like, why? Like. <laughs> And the fact that like the station closest to you is like way closer than the furthest one back, it's just so nice for like operator loading stuff and all that jazz. Yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah, it's it's a neat vice. Um, yeah, I know a lot of people out there are like, well, it's so much more expensive, blah blah blah. It's like, yeah, but there's a reason. Like, it's it's not for nothing. Yeah, um, it's it's the little things like that that make it very worth the, the cost well yeah and i'm already thinking like man it'd be sweet to have three double stations on my table like oh productivity <laughs> at its finest <laughs> yeah totally One yeah day. i mean I, I don't use my double station as a double station very often but uh it's nice to have that option for sure and like on the speedio there's no reason for me to buy anything else yeah so or either that or like more of the deltas. We'll see. Yeah, you need to get that going and playing with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. And then what about <laughs> what about that that machine you have that you're gonna sell? Oh, that we're actually actively working on. Um, That's good. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna get the model done for the windows and have a friend of a friend cut those pretty soon here. Um, it, it got to the point the other night where I was like so close to just taking pictures and posting and just saying screw it just we'll get what we get because i was like i'm i'm so tired of running into this thing or like 
seeing it there. Um, and I want my room back. It's yeah. like, we will have so much more room. Like the, the kitty is a beast of a machine. Like it is so much cast iron. So it takes yeah. up a ton of room. Um, like that thing's a 12,000 pound machine. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm so ready. And, and it's got like, you know, all the chillers and everything. Like it's a, it's got a spindle chiller. It's got um, a bunch of oilers because it's an air oil machine. It's a way lube machine, um, big conveyor, all that stuff. And it's like when I get that out and we're able to move the brothers around, I will gain probably almost 50% of my shot back. And a lot of mental capacity. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. And some capital. Um I don't, I don't know what our plans are, but it wouldn't, it would be nice if, you know, we could look towards maybe buying a fourth at the end of the year or something like that. That's what I'm talking about. I keep thinking about that for me too. Yeah. It's like, there are a lot of parts, the parts I'm working on, especially right now. um, Unfortunately, I can't really share anything about them, but like I had to make a four station fixture for them to hit all the sides. And like the fixture came out great. Like I wish I could share it because it looks badass and it yeah. works super well but um it it would just be so nice to have one fixture and a rotary and just call it a day you know <laughs> um and i would have been able to do some some nice neat multi-axis stuff to do some more deburring and you know all that fun stuff so you know in the future for sure how much is a fourth axis for a brother um, I think the brother T two hundred, which is the one I'd be getting, is sixteen, sixteen or seventeen. Oh wow! Okay, something like that, and that's a roller cam style, so it's like super, super rigid, super high clamping force, and then even without the clamp on, it's got a like an insane amount of um, stability. Okay, and they're like, I think it's the cheapest option out there for the brother right now too. Like it, it's, I was talking to the salesman today actually. And it's like, it's hard for him to sell other fourths for the brother unless you need a very specific fourth because it is A, so good and B, so cheap. Like, I think the nearest one is from Ukiwa and is like two or three grand more. Actually, no, I think he said four or five. No, no, it was like two or three. Yeah. I guess actually that's not, I was thinking that was higher, but like a Haas 210, HRT 210 or whatever is like, 10 to 12 and then you have to buy the wiring which is another four so it is about the same yeah yeah so um i don't know we'll see i I would like to um i know they just came out with a new version too of the t200 so like maybe they're doing some deals who knows um yeah especially right now with all the craziness yeah yeah It, it seems like it's very much feast or feast or famine out there like you are either up to your years and busy or you are dead so and and really i I went through both of those in the the span of two weeks so yeah i I totally understand um yeah i don't know it's it's strange that's for sure yeah um i'm trying to think of what else has gone on in the last week or so oh i finally got uh, I posted a picture, I think, a few days after our last podcast together. I finally printed those call-it blocks, the puzzle pieces. Oh, yeah, I uh, saw that. Starting to use my printer for what I bought it for, which is yeah. nice. Uh, I actually, it's torn apart. I'm staring at it right now because I got a VL Touch uh, 
touch sensor for auto leveling. And then I also got a giant fan for uh, filament cooling. And so I'm in the middle of installing those. I've just been running out of daylight to yep. finish it. But yep. that should make it a little more reliable. Um, I turned up some little spacers for the bed. So now it's no longer mounted on springs because I won't need the leveling of the bed. I'll just you know level it software wise. Um, but otherwise, it's been really reliable. Like I, I've seen more and more people start buying Enders, and like, really, I, I can't help but recommend them. Like for the price, I think I'm maybe, maybe a, not even a, a full hundred dollars into upgrades, which would make it like still under four hundred bucks, all said and done. Yeah, and the thing is just really, really reliable. Um, like the only failed prints I've had are because of wonky bed leveling or something like that yeah so and you've been doing some 3d printing too i saw on your stories yeah it's i think grimsmo said it the best in his one of his latest videos it is the best way to like iterate designs quickly um other than that like it's not much but like if that's what you're doing it is great at that yeah totally so trying to take advantage of that i had some issues with the abs i don't know do you use pla or abs more uh pla for okay sure. yeah PLA I... or actually right now i'm running a spool of pla plus okay which seems to be really nice so far um i will say so i was using pla from sane smart at first okay and like the quality of the pla was really really good but the coil, the, the it's so funny. So one of their selling points is this like anti-stick, anti-tangle coil that they're supposedly have on this thing. And literally every two minutes, I'd have to walk over and untangle the spool. <laughs> and then I switched to like, I think this is Hatchbox PLA Plus, and I've had zero problems since then. And then I also went through a roll, or I'm like halfway through a roll of uh, Amazon Basics PLA, and that also had zero issues. And neither of them has a selling point of anti you know, stick or whatever. It's Since so when weird. does Amazon Basics sell 3D printer filament? <laughs> um, I think I want to say they bought Hatchbox or one of those things. Really? Yeah, but it, I think it's Amazon Basics PLA. Huh. Yeah, Amazon Basics. It's like twenty bucks a roll. Wow. Yeah, it's cheap. I mean, it's been impossible to find lately because um, everybody's been printing masks, but I can't blame them. You know. Yeah. I'm happy it's going to to use but yeah i tried to get a roll maybe a week and a half or two weeks ago and it was like well you can get it in translucent red and it'll take a week and i'm like great that's totally the the color i wanted thanks <laughs> but it worked for that, that's what i printed those uh call it blocks in so you can get ugly brown in stock now <laughs> right exactly <laughs> i think the next week i looked for more and it was like puke green yeah <laughs> um, that was it i was like oh fantastic and Thanks. spray paint bundle <laughs> right yeah yeah so it's uh yeah you know it is what it is That's it, it's funny. been it's been a lot of fun to play around with it yeah i wish i don't know it's one of those things it's like it's a nice piece of equipment to have kind of in your back pocket but wish there was just more practical use to it I'm trying to think I mean, it is very practical making little things to help around, you know, organize or whatever. But I don't know. Kind of my thought is like if you're going to print like 
to some extent, certain organizational things like make sense. Like your call it block holders, like that makes sense because people sell like sheet metal ones or molded ones for like 30 bucks. It's like, I'm not paying that for that. But yeah. it's like, if you're going to print like, I don't know, just like dividers and containers, it's like, why? Like just buy them for like a quarter. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it like, I think it just has to do with, you know, what you have access to like i I think even for cheap stuff if i had a 3d printer and it wasn't doing anything and i was stuck at home anyway like why not you know exactly um if like for you and you and i like we're busy if i'm using my 3d printer it's for something i really want to print and like i I want to check up on and want to make sure it's printing all right um it's not a 50 cent piece for sure yep yep so one thing me and or Jake and I from Yates Precision, shout out to Jake. Um, just used his razor last night and I love it. I love it, love it, love it. <laughs> um, but he has because he listened to our last podcast where it was just us two, and we got the question about like tool inventory management, and we both basically were like, Yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> um and he chimed in because we also brought up like my products and stuff, and he has this there's like you need like three softwares i think it is because he has shopify as well and you have to buy this one software then use this free software to link it to another free Airtable um account or something like that and basically it would allow he uses it for inventory inventory tracking like the level of the inventory like i've been talking about like okay if this product gets to five quantity send me an email alert um, right. and he basically sent me this 20 long minute screencast video, which I really appreciate of him explaining how all these link together and long story short, it comes down to, okay, do I want to spend 20 bucks a month to have this ability in my back pocket? And, you know, I'm starting to think, you know, like you said, you hate adding on those monthly bills, right? Um, yeah, but it's oh, like. Yeah. You know, he brought up a good point. He's like, okay, you have like 400 products. Um, if you can keep another five in stock every month um, because you have this system, you only have to make four bucks per product that you keep in stock um, and then it's worth it or, you know, something to that effect. And I'm like, that's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, well, and uh, Joe from Cover Frame Building also chimed in. Um, I meant to send send it to. I don't think I did though, but he's got a Squarespace website using their uh, shopping cart or whatever. Yeah, he says that it's built into that. Yeah, I'm not switching um, though. Unfortunately. No, no, I know. But for yeah. anybody else that's out there listening who's like hasn't already augured into a, a, a website, yeah, seriously. Um, apparently, Squarespace's uh, e-commerce stuff has stock level alert emails and all that stuff. God, like you said last time, it's such an easy feature. I wish it was just there. Yeah, yeah, you you would think, yeah. <laughs> but I I guess you know they can make a buck off of it, so why not? Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, that's twenty bucks a month. That's just not. I mean, I pay what probably thirty bucks for ShipStation or whatever it is, fifteen thirty dollars a month. I I don't know off the top of my head. So yeah. Oh, and so you were talking, that kind of brings up a point. Um, you had mentioned on your stories, you're having issues with your Dymo. Yeah. What happens with it? 
is it a ship station dymo issue or is it a dymo printer issue itself it's just the printer ship station's amazing <laughs> um i don't know if ship station works with any printer but we have a zebra printer at the shop that i got refurbed on amazon or not amazon refurbed on ebay for like 200 bucks uh-huh. or 180 bucks and that thing has been bulletproof see that's what everyone's saying zebra or brother makes one yeah um, yeah I, um the the zebra one i bought because we had them at work and like okay. i saw how well they worked and um i wouldn't say that their software like if you're trying to print like part labels or anything like that they're not their, their software is not anything special like it's not terrible but and it's free but um like it sounds like you're using ship station anyway so it doesn't really matter uh, yeah as long it, as it prints on four by six labels i'm good yeah yeah my, I, I do both uh they're like weird size i do a like a one by what is it a half by 2.3 label for my part number labels and then okay. i do a four by six for shipping labels okay yeah i mean aren't they pretty fast too yeah it's super fast yeah dymos are slow really i mean they're not like not like your inkjet printer but like i mean it takes a second I, I mean, I can, uh, if I remember tonight or if I have time, I'll try to just print a dummy label and send you a video. Yes. But it, Put like something I can creative do, on it and send it. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I do more part labels than I do shipping labels because usually I just print the shipping labels and have FedEx deal with it. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the part labels, like, I mean, they're tiny, but I can do like, I don't know, 20 in a second or 20 in two seconds. Like Really? They just roll off that thing. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll try to remember to send a, a video. Yeah, um, I mean, Kelvin going, swears by the brother, so I'll, I'm, I don't he know. He does a ton of shipping, so yeah. if he swears by it, you know it works. Yeah, so that's kind of my, I don't know. I haven't really looked into the pricing. And honestly, I don't know if I'd get rid of mine because, I mean, I'd have to check how much I paid for it. It's definitely, like, you know, paid for itself in the many years, but it's like, kind of hate just like not using a $200 printer and buying another one. Yeah. Well, maybe you can try to sell it on eBay if it works. That's true. Um, so going back real quick to our talk about rotaries, uh, I was looking up the Haas versus the brother just to see, you know, where the cost difference might come from. Yep. The brother T200 has almost double the max torque of the HRT 210 HT, the high torque version. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the high torque version is 385 foot pounds and the brother is 531. Okay. Um, and then their clamp torque, the brother's like right around the same clamp torque as the HRT. Huh. And then they're, I think the backlash is a little better, better on the brother too. It's like, 10 set 10 arc seconds or less versus 30 arc seconds or less. So that makes it a little bit more understandable. Yeah. Cause I, I didn't realize the Haas ones are that cheap. That's like super good pricing. Yeah. What is the one you're looking at price? I, I think that's the other oh, HRT HT. Um, that one was, well, it's on sale again. Oh, as always with us. Yep. And right now it's 11,000. That's it? Yeah. And that's they're, for the high-torque one? 
Yeah, there almost seems to be no reason to buy the standard one unless I'm missing it. That's what the I was about to say. One, let's see. Standard one's 10000 So for an extra $1,000, you get double the torque. No, uh, 50% more torque. Yeah, why not? Yeah, that seems seems like a no-brainer to me, but I guess I'm not buying it either. So That was a great point I heard a YouTuber say. He was talking about machines, and he has a Haas VF2, and he was like, you know, everyone, like, there's always that group of people that, like, for whatever reason, hate on Haas, but it's like, all right, if this was your first machine, like, he mentioned, he's like, but they're not the ones writing the checks for the machines, and then they would yeah. change their opinion, and it's like, that's such a great point. It's super easy to spend other people's money. Yeah. Like, we all love to be armchair machinists. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll totally admit to have having said things or, or, you know, talked about things like that, too. And it's like, well, yeah, I wouldn't have spent a million dollars on that machine. I would have spent it on this. It's like, yeah, it's really easy to say when you don't have a million dollars. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I totally understand. Um, I, I, I understand why people do it, and I understand why it means nothing. Yep, yep. So, um, yeah, I don't know. But uh, let's see what else. Um, I guess we could jump into our questions real quick. Yeah, let's do it. So we only had a couple. One was from GPM Race Engines, and he asked for, or he was asking how long and how involved is your warm up procedure for your machines. Uh, let's see. I made, I wrote my own. It's like I think exactly fifteen minutes. And according to Haas, after they talked about it on one of their recent videos. You don't really need to warm up your machine every time. Like it's not going to hurt, but there's no, unless you live in Alaska and it's like super cold in your shop, like there's no reason to. Yeah. I, I think that's the case for a lot of modern machines. Um, I know older machines, they require it or they say they, they require it. Yeah. Otherwise it'll avoid your warranty. Um, like I know the math servers at work, they just released a service bulletin that was like, use this program every day. And it's like a 10 minute warm up. Interesting. Um, I think it just depends on the spindle and, and who builds it and all that stuff. The, uh, the speedio we warm up every day. We were told we don't need to, but I don't know. It seems like kind of just a preventative thing. Like I, I know that I have spindle growth anyway, so there's no reason to not at least get it, start getting it warm. Um, and that's like a eight minute cycle and it jumps up. I want to say it starts at 3000 and then jumps up a few thousand every two minutes or something like that, all the way up to 10,000. Okay. And so then I ported that over to the TC and now we just use it on both of them. It's identical. Um, and then on the kitty, Brad wrote his own one that uses macro variables so we can run as many times as we want. And it steps up from 1500 or something to like, six grand um and it also moves the entire table around in like a figure eight fashion yep that's what mine does and that that's like the the kitamura says if your machine has been off for more than like 12 hours you need to run this program every or you need to you you need to warm up your spindle for this x number of minutes every day and it's like if it's been uh cold for 36 hours it needs to be like this and if it's been cold for a week it needs to be this long and so um they're, they're pretty specific about that uh a lot of higher end japanese spindles that i've seen all have that uh, i know the deuce on at work like will actually refuse to let you do anything until you warm it up 
Um, it actually calls up a entirely separate screen. It says, it's, I've been off for this long. I need to be warmed up for this long. Please hit go. And it starts the spindle and, and does its warm up and has a progress bar. And then when it's done, you can have the, the machine back. <laughs> yeah. So it, it really, I think it's very, really variable depending on your machine tool builder. I, one thing that drove me nuts was at my first job, we had a bunch of Kitamaras and my boss was like, super against warming them up. He was like, there's no reason to blah, blah, blah. I was like, what about the sticker that's on the spindle? He's like, oh, that's just their way of, I don't even remember his reasoning was. It was, it was some garbage reason. And I'm like, okay, but we might as well. Nobody's doing anything for the first 10 minutes of the day anyway. Like yep. you're getting your computer on, you're getting yourself settled. Why not? Like it, it's, it's not going to like wear out your, your machine. You're not yeah. cutting, you're not, you're not running it into anything. Like if your machine is in such a terrible disarray that like warming it up at the beginning of the day is going to ruin it. You probably are on your last legs at the machine anyway. Um, <laughs> so it, it just, yeah, I'm a big proponent of warming it up. You might as well. It's not going to hurt anything. Worst case, you get your bearings warm and you get your, you know, casting starting to heat up and all that stuff. The juice is flowing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that. Over the entire day, if I run the brother straight, I gain or I lose about five or six tenths on the Z. That's a lot. Yeah, that's really not that bad. I mean, I think in the, even on the kitty, we lose like almost a thou and that thing has a spindle chiller. I mean, like it's noticeable is what I meant. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, that's a the really nice thing about having probing in a lot of my programs is i don't worry about it really it's like well you know it's accounted for yeah um but like if i'm trying to hold really tight z tolerance yeah you you know maybe i'll set my tool right before i, I cut again or something like that um but it's, it's definitely noticeable and like there's parameters you can set up in the brother control to like if you are really worried about z growth and you're really worried about thermal growth in that machine you can call Yamazin in and you have to be running the same part, but like they will do a time study and a heat study for you over an entire day or a couple days and find all the parameters they need. And you can actually input it into the control and it'll account for thermal growth based on time on and running. That's awesome. Yeah. And it, it's, I don't think that a lot of customers do it because, you know, five tenths over eight hours, like most parts you're never going to notice. Yeah, but um, it might not even be that much. I'm trying to think the last part that I was really paying attention to. Um, it's, it's probably like four or five tenths. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I don't know. It warm up for me is is well worth it. Yeah. And then uh, speaking of brother, the other question we had comes from uh, Scott from Yamazin, Scott Livingston. And uh, he asked, analog or digital calipers, what's more accurate? You go first on this one. <laughs> uh, I'm fairly certain they're technically rated the same accuracy. I would hope so. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, I think a lot of people think that digital calipers are more accurate because they show a fifth decimal place or a fourth decimal place. Yeah, but it's but... like it's always a zero or a five. <laughs> Right, right. Well, and if you look at the specs on like the Minotoyos, they're only accurate to a thou. Yeah, I never pay attention to that last one. Yeah, and, and like, 
I'm fairly certain I'm, I'm looking at my, uh, you know, dial calipers that I keep at home and I'm pretty sure that these are also accurate to a thou. So as far as like physical accuracy, they're the same as far as reading accuracy, digital all the way, unless you forget the zero. Off. Well, yeah. Cause like, if you have like my one zero to one inch digital Mitotoy mic, like I ain't, I trust that thing to the 10th, like a hundred percent, but like, I'm not reading the veneer scale, like screw that. Right. Right. Well, and you're not going to misread it either. Like it's yeah. very easy on like a, a dial caliper to look at it. And like, if you're, you know, just past 400 thou or something, you might miss that four and say, oh, it's like 300 thou and, and you know, 310 thou, not yeah. 410 thou. And it's like that accuracy. I think the human factor accuracy digital obviously wins. Um, the only way you can screw up there is if you forget to zero it, you know, you zero it on something else and then you go and take measurements. And I, I've, I've never scrapped a part due to that, knock on wood, but uh, I have screwed up drawings that I've made for myself. Like I've been reverse engineering things and like gone to measure a thread depth and like zeroed out on the thread gauge and, and found my depth that way. And then gone to measure something else and been like, huh, okay. And put that dimension in and then my model comes out all wonky and I'm like, yep. what I do there? And I was like, oh, that's clearly not 875,000. And then I measure it again. And it's like two and a half inches. And I'm like, oh, right. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, I think that, you know, I'm a big proponent of digital everything just because it speeds up the process and makes it more human reliable. Um, and, and, you know, digital mics are more accurate than uh, analog mics. Yep. hundred percent agree. So, yep. Um, and then the other thing we were going to start a new segment this week that is what did you research this week? And so it's going to be anything that you Googled or did a deep dive on, um, well, you know, it can be machining related. It can be not machining related. I've got one of each this week and, uh, I thought it would just be kind of a fun thing to say what we're working on. And if, if you guys at home have something cool that you're researching, go ahead and ping us on Instagram, um, either Peyton or I's Instagram or the within tolerance Instagram. All right. So you want me to go first? Yeah. I thought of one machining or manufacturing and then one non um, I'm having a production mold built by another company for a product of mine it should be done in like a month, which I'm really excited for, but they designed the mold and sent me the file. And you know, it's like some 400 component file. It's ridiculous. Every fastener, everything is on that. Um, and I was looking at it. I'm like, there's no ejector pins. Like, what the heck? Like, you guys, how could you forget this? Am I missing something? Turns out it's what's called a, and I've heard of this. I've just never used one. It's a stripper plate way of ejecting parts. There's multiple ways you eject parts from injection molds. And this is what's called a stripper plate. And it's kind of an interesting style of mold. And it allows you to do some cool things. I just never, I've seen them, but I've never... Like I'm, I guess I'm buying one now. So, um, but I did, you know, YouTube searches, Google images, and I was just trying to understand how they worked a little bit better. So that was kind of cool. Um, and then the non-machining thing is like accounting and stuff. I really want to be better about, um, like, yes, I know I'm making money, but I want to know how much I'm making. And like, I want to get 
really specific. I've been meaning to do this because it's frustrating when you're, you know, spending all this money and you know you're making money, but it's like, well, you know, I made five thousand dollars on this job, but my visa check was seven thousand. Like, what, 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 where, what are we doing here? But it's like you know, there's money. Like, but where is it? Yeah, totally. Did you have any ways that you're moving forward on that? Any software you found or anything like that? I haven't looked into software. It's kind of like a balance of, I guess it would just be a basic accounting software, but it's like, I want to be able to, since I do so many different services and so many different, like different things, like, you know, direct products to market type thing. And then it's like, I also offer services. It's like, how do you separate those out? Um, I don't know. I don't know what the honest answer is for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that is where an ERP comes in really handy for sure. Yeah. Um, like I, I wish there was a, I mean, I guess there, there's no like real open source. Like I think o- Udo or Odoo or whatever is open source, but it still costs. I don't even know what the last cost I got for it was, but uh, yeah, I would like something like I've tried kind of hacky workarounds for that. Like there's this project-based management software called Asana that's free. Yep. So you can create jobs in there. And then there's an add-on called T-Metric where you can log time to jobs. But then you have to like have two logins and you have to remember to start the clock on the T-Metric thing. And you have to remember to stop it. And you have to like annotate all your stuff. And um, I tried it for a few jobs and like it just ended up becoming more work than it was worth, I think. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've, I don't know. I've, I guess Udo is technically free, but I don't know how much comes in the free version um maybe i don't know i don't need to look into it more it would be nice to have something i guess oh so apparently you can have one module like i can have the manufacturing module for free forever with unlimited users but the second i add a second module is when it starts saying that you can't Huh. I'll have to look into that because that might be a good cheap way to do it. Um, oh, yeah. Like as you add apps, it adds money per thing, it looks like. So like every module is like quality is 24 bucks a month and maintenance for your machines is 24 bucks a month. And um, manufacturing is $48 a month. So like I'd, I, yeah, I'd, at this point, I'd be I only clicked on three and I'm at $156 a month. And that's not including timesheets, if I added purchasing, if I added invoicing and sales and accounting. Yeah, very quickly getting to the cost of our last guest, um, Fulcrum. And really, I'd much rather do theirs because it's actually made for manufacturing if I was going to do that. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the, the rough part of it, I guess. Yeah, because if you start adding shipping, that's like 30 or so dollars a month. Yeah, yeah, I'm already, I added four different shippers. I guess if I take away one of them, I'm still at $400 a month. So that's, yeah, I guess there's still no good. I I mean, I I understand. Software is tough to develop. Yeah. But uh, I guess I need to give what I was researching this week. 
Um, so manufacturing wise, I did a lot of or a deeper dive on probing on my machine. Uh, the parts we were running had a, a relatively tight bore, like a plus or minus one on it, or maybe it was tight. It was right around that anyway. Um, but I wanted a way to be able to check it and know it was good and not have to recut it in the machine and all that stuff. And so initially we tried a logic statement that, you know, measured the bore and then said, if it's less than this value, offset the tool and recut. Um, but I learned a few things. So A, the way that the brother does it when you measure and then have it change a tool, it does it incrementally from wherever the current value is, which is fine. That makes sense. Like if it, if it's two tenths too big, it would offset it one tenth negative from wherever the current value is. Totally makes sense. The problem was that I put my statement next where it said, if this value is less than the bore size, go back to N101. And so it would jump back to the tool that cut it and try to cut it again. Now, what I didn't know is that if I put that statement at the end of my probe, which is where I was putting it, somewhere in the safe retract move, it resets all of the uh, probe variables to zero. So it just so, kept probing it? So, well, so it, it kept, it would probe it. It would say that the, the size of it, but then by the time it got to the end of the probe statement or the end of the probe cycle, which is where my macro logic was, that variable was now at zero. And so it said, is zero less than your bore diameter? If so, go back to N101. And so it tried to recut it like two or three times. And by that point, I was at like, it was just like playing havoc with my offsets. Like, I think I, at one point it like, like fluctuated to plus three thou, and then it like went down to negative two thou. And so I cut this bore like way oversized before I figured out what the hell was going on. Like, I thought it was just consistently undersized. Um, and I was like, man, my tool is just cutting all kinds of weird. And then by the time I figured out what was going on, uh, it had already cut, thankfully it was a setup part, but it cut it oversized. And so I, I found out that I need to put any macro statements I need just after the probing cycle is called, like after the the line that calls the probe. So it, like it has a, the it calls, you know, G65P8703, I think is the safe move. It comes down to the bore, then 8700, whatever, to probe the bore. Then right after that is where I need to put all my macro stuff because everything is still saved. But the second it hits the next G80, or g 65 uh, P8703, it zeroes out all those variables and it like would kill everything. And I was like, ugh. So we, we figured it out finally. It took some some doing uh, a little more time than I'd like, but it was uh, it was still fun to kind of deep dive. And then I started playing around with deep print uh, statements in the program so I could actually send out things that the probe uh, probed to like a file. Um, I still haven't quite figured out how to do that with my network right yet. Cause like it, it'll print it to a USB drive, but I don't have the USB enabled right now. I have the ethernet enabled. So I need to figure out where it's going to dump the files over ethernet and all that. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was fun. It was fun to get to kind of deep dive a little more into the control next this week or next week. I need to go through and finally set up my machine to use the new style of high speed codes. Um, cause I, I kind of, I was helping, uh, TDC manufacturing today with some of the probing codes since I just went through it and he uses the, the new style codes. And so my big hesitation, like my big hesitation is that you have to go and edit all your macro statements to have the high speed code turn off. And 
now kind of helping him through the probing, I was like, oh, that's it's not nearly as insurmountable as I thought it was. So I'll probably get that done in the next couple days. That's good. And then something completely not related to business or anything. Uh, I was watching a show and they were talking about Hong Kong and they, they mentioned Kowloon City, Walled City in uh, Hong Kong. And if you've never seen it, it is like, it feels like something out of an anime or something. Uh, it oh, doesn't boy. exist anymore. They, they demolished it in like 1990, I think, or 93. But it was a 6.4 acre bordered like city that was like just stacks on stacks on stacks of buildings, like all cl- like clustered together. And I think they, I can't remember what they called it exactly, but I, w- I want to say the translation in Chinese was like city of darkness or something. Cause like you could go an entire day in there and not see the sky. Um, and it, it was like, it was 6.4 acres, but had 50,000 residents. Well, I'm looking at a picture of it now. Yeah. It, it literally looks like something out of like an anime or, or some kind of comic book. Um, and it was completely ungoverned too. Like the, the police, up until like the mid 1970s wouldn't even go in there because the triads had such a like control over the entire city. That thing looks insane. Yeah. Yeah. So if it, uh, again, like, like I said, I, the, I wanted to do this segment because I feel like we all are on Google or whatever, or, or Wikipedia and see some crazy stuff. And it's just kind of fun to share interesting stuff that you got sucked into on a deep dive. Yeah. I'm gonna look that up and watch a documentary on this. Yeah, and then they d- demolished it in like '93, and now it's a series of like ten different parks. So there's like water there now, and and gardens and all kinds of stuff. So worth checking out if you're looking for a crazy architectural, uh, cultural thing. That's like straight out of like Star Wars, like freaking, like Mandalorian, like underground place. Right? Yeah, it, it it does not look real. Like it, it really looks like something out of some dystopian future or something like that. That's cool. So that's probably a, a good place to wrap it up. Uh, next week, we are super excited to have Jeff, a.k.a. Yeti Man on Instagram, come on the podcast. Uh, so we'll be putting up a post in the next day or so asking for your guys' questions. I'm sure that lots of you guys have questions to ask Jeff. He's <laughs> kind of, you know... He's been everywhere and did everything, it seems like. And I'm really excited to kind of pick his brain about it. I am too. Uh, Well, uh, I'm going to get to the shop. Keep kicking ass, man. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. See ya.